But welcome to Navigating Change with Shane and Mike. Across from me is Shane Bishop. My name is Mike Wooten. We're happy to have you join us. Well, like we said last time, the landscape for churches is changing rapidly around the country. In this episode, Shane and I will talk about questions churches need to ask to prepare for a post-COVID world. It's based off Shane's blog, Seven Post-COVID Questions for Churches That Need to Be Asked Right Now. You can find the blog at revshanebishop.com. We also have free t-shirts we're giving away. We're going to tell you all about that in just a second. But Shane, how are you today? Mike, I'm fantastic. I'm, I'm glad we're making podcasts again. We are back in the kitchen of podcasting. Oh, I feel like I'm getting in the flow. I, got the, I got the facial hair flowing as yeah, well. Yeah, kind of got that Johnny Depp early years kind of thing. Early years before his career crash. Someone yeah. said I kind of looked like Zorro. I thought they said Zorro, but then they ended up saying a guy that Zorro would beat up in a movie. <laughs> It. Yeah, like an adversary, a failed adversary yeah, I felt, of Zorro. Yeah, I felt I like like, a, like an extra, like at the very end of the yeah. credits, you're like guy number seven with the mustache. Antagonist seven. <laughs> That's me. I like it. Right? I like and it. And then someone said on Church Online a uh-huh. couple weeks ago that I look like someone off the show Tiger King, and I don't think that was a compliment, but I can tell you this. My wife, who does a lot of the chat, she laughed very hard. She laughed hard. I have never seen the show yeah. Tiger King. I don't think you need to waste your time. Because it kind of looks, I don't know, stupid cubed? Stupid cubed. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. It, you know, it came out early in the pandemic, so it was one of those weird things uh, where it was an odd show, and then a lot of people got on Netflix and, and watched it. But... Is it still on? I mean, it's still on Netflix. I would recommend that no one watches it. All right. But, uh, so I, have you ever seen it? I've seen it. All right. I like it. So <laughs> you are not recommending a show that you yourself have watched. Yeah. yeah. But I'm you have to watch see- it to be able to know if you recommend or not, right? That's right. So you're telling me, who has not seen yeah. Tiger King, because, hey, I love the Lord. And uh, so you're telling me that you have seen this, and you'd say, absolutely not. This is not... For Christian consumption. For, at the very least, for my reputation. You know what I mean. Don't watch okay. Hey, I uh, also want to tell you all, we're so you're obviously grateful that you listened to this. And one of the ways we can spread the word about this, where Shane and I can keep helping leaders and, and helping people grow, is through uh, what we're doing right now is by giving away f- a few free, free T-shirts. Free to you. Free to me, free to you. No, free to who wins them? Free to who wins them. So who's paying for these shirts? Really, I paid for several of them several months ago, and they've just been sitting. Oh, okay. And so I've been waiting. So it was a front charge. You you had an upfront charge. (laughs) Yes, I did. And now they're really like free because you've already paid for them. We're in a different quarter right now, so it's like I didn't pay for them at all. So how many shirts are we giving away? We're going to give away about three shirts, right. okay, but I have more, and they are 52% cotton, 48% polyester shade. Oh, that's good. That's good. like the best of both worlds. It is. They'll breathe and yet They'll still breathe. retain their shade. We got blue. We got red. We got charcoal black. These are beautiful shirts. I have like. a charcoal black shirt, and I've got to tell you, Mike, Yeah. that of my T-shirts, and I don't have a ton of T-shirts with writing on them, you know? I've got yeah. like Eddie Bauer plain yeah. T-shirts, but... Of the T-shirts I have, I would say that my Navigating Change with Shane and Mike is my most comfortable new T-shirt. Now, it's not like a a 15-year-old Eddie Bauer shirt. You know, it's been washed 3,000 times. But I got to tell you, for a new shirt, it fits well. Yeah. And it breathes well. And it's a comfortable shirt. And it's not going to shrink very much either. No. So that's great, right? I noticed that during the uh, COVID lockdown, a lot of my clothes did shrink. Yeah. Well, you're looking pretty good right now. You've been working out, I know. Been, been Have you been dieting out, trying too? to eat a little yeah. less, losing yeah. a little bit yeah. of that COVID yeah. weight? I uh, my first quarantine, uh, I yeah, I you, lost. Now Mike has 
levels of quarantine. There was the first quarantine <laughs> yeah. and the second quarantine. Yeah. Yeah. My my first one, I, I lost weight. My second one, I've gained weight. So, you know, right. I guess I'm, I'm even. I'm back to even, just like that. So, Mike, you... Do, you, do you tend to stress fast or do you stress eat? So, let's say you're in quarantine oh, for no reason. Yeah. Just theoretically yeah. for, let's say, a month. Yeah. Now, and you're a little stressed about this because... You know, here you are, you're supposed to have a job and, and all those things, and you're not showing up for work and, and those type of things. So you're a little stressed about this. And, and people think I'm sleeping yeah, the whole time, Yeah, you're concerned sure. that, you know, everybody here feels like you're letting us down yeah. and, and that type of thing, sure. which, you know, which is absurd. Because yeah. not everybody felt that way, Mike. I, I told them. <laughs> just, I said, everybody doesn't feel that way. Just the important not, people. Not everybody. <laughs> I mean, there's me, yeah, but, but yeah, exactly. not everybody. So, Mike, when you're stressed, do you tend to eat yeah. or fast? So, uh, you know, I've gotten better with that over the years, but I will tell you one time in college, I was so stressed out, and this is not an exaggeration. I ate 21, <laughs> this is embarrassing, not an exaggeration, but embarrassing. I ate 21 Boston cream cupcakes within like 18 hours. 18 hours? So basically hitting... A little and, more than one hour <laughs> yeah, for a but, long time. Yeah, the, there was one night uh, that I had the majority of those, okay? Okay. And so they had this awesome cream in the middle yeah. and like a, a chocolate chip top to them and a, a vanilla uh, uh, or what do you call it, white cake. Yeah, oh, right. my gosh, obviously. And I was stressed with some school stuff. So I would say that I would lean more towards eating when I'm stressed, but okay. I, I don't really do that like I used to when okay. I was a little okay. bit younger. I would say I'm a stress faster. Okay. A so lot of people. When I, I have stress, I'm not hungry. And so if you ever see me and you're thinking, man, Shane's looking portly, you can say to yourself, yes, but he's happy. <laughs> yes, but he's happy. It's sort of like, this is a beautiful day. God's blessing is upon me. Yeah. I got a smile on my face. Where's a pork chop? I feel like that's sort of how it goes with me. And then when things are bad... I don't want to eat, man. I just, yeah. I'm not hungry. Yeah. And, and all that. So when I'm thin, usually things are going bad. Mm -hmm. When I'm heavier, things are going good. That seems to be how it works with me. Fat and happy. Uh, no, I, <laughs> yes. I don't. Yes. Is there, a, is there an antithesis to that? Like, like thin and sad or, or <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. know. But speaking of questions, we are going to uh, ask a few questions. They, the questions are important to collecting data. This is really part two of a conversation we had last time about how we can prepare for COVID, uh, post-COVID world. Would you call our last conversation a riveting conversation, <laughs> an informative Conversation Shane, you know or a rather dull conversation. Shane, you know how I am. Even if something goes great, I always think that wasn't that was bad. So I would not I would not say we had a riveting conversation. I would no. say not riveting, but I felt it was informative. I felt it was really informative. I felt like it was for church it can really be helpful for church leaders and pastors as well, hoping that a lot of them get to hear it from us. Yeah, because a lot of people think of church leaders as just like pastors and people on staff, but everybody that's on a board, everybody's yes. on a committee. You guys are all church leaders, and, and I think right now especially, I'm just going to say this from my point of view, things are too complex to fall into the hands of just one leader. I think we need collective wisdom yes. more than we've ever needed wisdom, and uh, I, I just want to tell all of you who serve in any kind of leadership in your church, I want to tell you as a pastor, I think this is a really important time for you, and I think it's an important time for churches because... This is a, coming out of a pandemic, Mike, is a time we're either going to get this right and move forward, 
or we're going to fumble this and it's going to simply speed up the process by which our churches are we're dying anyway. And so COVID will either be what kills churches with pre-existing conditions or it could be what shakes churches out of lethargy. And so I really like the idea that if we ask ourselves some really serious questions right now, and if we really wrestle with some questions, maybe the pandemic could be the best thing ever happened to us. Maybe. And Shane, before we get into the questions we need to ask, I was thinking, what is something I've heard from Shane where he had, he had some questions that he asked that really helped him? And there was this one time where you, I think, started playing tennis. And I think you had to ask your coach a couple questions. Can you share a little bit about that and how that helped you? Yeah, yeah. I was playing uh, on my college tennis team, which I, I just kind of made. And Yeah, and you didn't play any tennis in high school. We didn't have tennis in high school. It yeah. wasn't a sport at my school. And somehow you get on the college tennis team. Yeah, I, I played <laughs> a lot in the summer, even though we didn't have a formal tennis team. And then our college had a uh, intramural tournaments, mm-hmm. and I won – uh, I won the, the tournament. And so the tennis coach was watching the tournament and I guess he had a spot on his team and he offered me a position on his tennis team. So yeah, I became a college tennis player having never played a single high school cool. or organized tennis match, but you'd have to know me. That kind of thing happens to me. So anyway, so we were uh, there and when we played tennis, I was like fifth player. They, they'd have six players. I was about fifth, which means I was kind of like the second to worst and so, uh, but when we practice, he always had me practice against the one or the two guys. And Mike, they were so much better than me. <laughs> and, and I would always have to spar against them. And finally, I asked the coach a question. I said, why do you always have me play against the good players? And he said, because you are treacherous as a tennis player. You identify your opponent's weaknesses. And you attack them so consistently and so relentlessly that you will beat tennis players who are a whole lot better than you. And I said, but you don't have me out here to beat your best players because I can't beat them. He said, no. He said, you attacking their weaknesses actually makes them better. Mm. And over time, when they play with you each day, their weaknesses improve and improve and improve. You're making my best players better. I said, Coach, what, what about me? And he said, there's really no hope for you as a tennis player. <laughs> so, so that kind of outlines my entire yeah. college tennis yeah. career. So sometimes, you know, when we ask questions, we find out something about ourselves, and sometimes we uh, find out stuff we don't want to find out about ourselves, I guess. I think asking questions uh, is revealing mm. because yep. now we, we know how it is. And, and I don't know about you, Mike, but when I have my questions answered, I can adjust to even difficult things. But a lot of times when that question's in my mind is when mm-hmm. I suffer discontinuity. Yes. So when I think about churches, I think about how can we help form some questions, and maybe the answers aren't what they want to hear, but at least you got a place to start. So let's let's start with some of these questions, Shane. And these are these are from you, and I think they are going to really provoke some answers. Hopefully, become revealing for church leaders, for pastors. Here's our first question: What is our clear? Here's what church churches need to ask: What is our clear and unique message to our community and region? I don't think a lot of churches have any idea. Okay. I think their de facto mission is to stay open and to conduct services on Sunday, try to visit the sick, try to keep everybody calm, and we'll try it again next week. But I don't know how many churches have really sat down and said, what is our message? 
What is our place in this community? Who are we? If we closed, how how would it impact the community? Or would it impact the community? I think those are really important upfront questions. And I think it really gets to this, Mike. Yes. What do we have to offer? What do we have to offer? So if someone is saying to you, Shane, and I'm, I'm kind of picking your brain. I know you've helped a lot of church leaders with this over the years, but if someone says, who are we? How do they really evaluate that? You're saying, what do they have to offer? Do they need to look at like uh, who, who who's on their staff or who's their demographics? What would you say? I think the, the most important thing for churches is that we understand what the church is supposed to be. Okay. We are not a charity among charities. We are not a good cause among good causes. We're not a club among clubs. But we are the literal presence of Jesus Christ in the world until his return. And he gave us really specific things to do, like the Great Commission. Yeah. He gave us really specific things to do. So I would say for churches, as you begin this process, a lot of churches want to tell you all the good they're doing. We're feeding this many people, or we're doing this, or we're doing that. I, I always tell people the, the mission of the church is not to do good. Yeah. The mission of the church is to connect people with Jesus Christ. That being said, we're going to do all kinds of good. And when you have a mission statement, it's got to be, uh, it's not, uh, it's got to be concise, right? Correct. Whenever you form a mission statement, I was sitting, I was getting a haircut today because it'd been like a month, and I was sitting out. They make you sit outside now, mm -hmm. so I couldn't go inside. I have to sit outside to wait, not to get the haircut. And then the UPS driver comes up right in front of me, and I think it's their mission statement on the side of their truck. And all I can tell you is that I don't remember it. And that it was too long. Right. I, heard, I did see something about worldwide. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I was kind of thinking, who who is that supposed to connect with? Right. And I was thinking worldwide, maybe, the, I don't know if that connects with me or not, but I get I think it's a little bit back to mission statement, what, uh, what's the clear and unique message a community has. Uh, who is that supposed to connect with? Yeah, and I think for us here at Christ Church, our, our mission is to connect people with Jesus Christ. Really simple, and there's great clarity on it. Is our mission to feed people? No. Our mission is to connect people to Jesus. Now, maybe feeding people, which is a great thing to do, great. might be a part of how we do that. But to simply do good devoid of our mission is right. not mission. So you're talking about integrating that mission into a decision-making process within a church. That's right? exactly right. And so if you have food, if you have an opportunity, that's incredible. And then it becomes a prioritizing, right? Especially if you're given lots of opportunities to serve the community, which one is the best to connect people with Christ in our context? And it gets back to the old language between uh, ends and means. For me, the ends of the church is to connect people to Jesus. At the end of the day, all your church has to do is grow. It's really simple, Mike. All you got to do yeah. is is make new Christians, turn them into disciples, right. and then send them out to make more Christians. I mean, it's really simple. But so you guys, so that's the ends. Now, what's right. the means? Now, the means by which we can accomplish that ends right. are endless. And I think doing good, impacting communities in positive way, is a wonderful yes. ends toward a means or a means toward an ends of connecting people to Jesus Christ. But when our means become our ends, then everything is in the wrong spot. We do not exist to feed the hungry. We exist 
to connect people to Christ, but we're going to feed the hungry as we connect them. It's knowing what your ends is. So getting in on this mission, understanding it, coming to some type of collective understanding within a a faith community, that then becomes a bit of a growth engine or at least a way to show effectiveness, right? At least least centers your energy in in a common place. A lot of churches that, that die and are ineffective, it's not because they're not doing anything. It's because they're doing everything. So what I want to do is one big thing, and that is our mission. That is what we centrally, we connect people to Jesus. We believe Jesus came to forgive sin and make people right with God. That is what we're going to start with. We're clear on that. We're going to do all kinds of good around it, but that is our ends, and we are going to have all kinds of means to build into that. And for me, I want the community to know We're a church that does not function as a recruiting wing of a political party. We're a church that does not function simply to to say how much impact we can have in the community in any number of good things. But we are essentially a church that is trying to connect people with Jesus. It sounds like it even becomes an opportunity for a rallying cry of sorts for a local community, for the faith community, right? Where right. we are all around this mission. This is what we do together. Uh, yeah, that that's really, uh, I think that's really powerful. And that can be very helpful whenever we're trying to uh, figure out uh, what we need to do or what type of unique message in a post-COVID world. And I don't think you can be something until you give up on the idea of being everything. And at some point, churches are going to say, this is who we are. Mm-hmm. This is what we stand for. And everything flows out of that. Otherwise, we're just going to be a cacophony of things that are essentially unrelated. And all they're going to do is wear us out. And, that, and that's why leaders are needed, right? Because it's going to yeah. take a leader and leaders to, to rally people in that way. Or everyone's going to think they're their own leader and then it's going to be divided. All right, question two. How do we get people back on site? How do we get people back on site for worship? What are your thoughts, Shane? My number one thought, and I've been working on this a lot this week. My number one thought is getting people to return to on-site worship has to be the number one priority of churches. It has to be the number one priority. Apart from on-site worship, we do not have a biblical model. We don't have a business model, and we also don't have a, a model for doing ministry. You know, you say, well, we're online now. Folks, we're not TV stations. We are not broadcast outlets for the internet. That's not what our calling is. It's not what the church is all about. And I hate to say it, but if your church wants to define itself by how well you can broadcast you are not competitive with the best people out there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, take a look at what we do. We're not competitive with churches that run 30,000. Yeah. They have resources that we can't even imagine being a church of 2,000 or 2,500. Yeah. So the reality is we've got to, to lean back in to just what it means to be a church. And for me, being a church in keeping with the scripture that says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, is people getting together in community in the name of Jesus Christ. And we pray, we worship, we sing, we break the word down, and we become part of each other's lives. And for me, 
That is the essence of church. And the dumbest thing that a church can do right now is give up on that idea. I'm with you. And I think, you know, for what churches need to do at their own building, their facility, they're just going to have to figure that out. You know, interactive technology, can you do that? Can you afford it? I don't know. But I know, Shane, I think we talked a little bit about uh, like what uh, NFL football's had to do, right? The, in, the uh, at-home experience is so great. They've had to do all types of other things uh, at the actual stadiums to bring people in in terms of interaction. Or the, we've even talked before, I think, about minor league baseball games, right? Sure. About what they've had to do between innings. And now the, the pros, the MLB, uh, they do it all the time kind of in between innings of, of games I've gone to. But, you know, what that means, I, you know, the theological basis is gathering people for worship. But, you know, service design is going to be people's. I think pastors are going to have to learn about service design, which is evaluating for churches. It would be evaluating uh, their space, their volunteers, their strategy, their architecture, and see if it's lending them itself to the mission and to what they have to offer. And I think, you know, I wasn't taught about – you may have been in seminary taught about service design. I think some seminaries may, may, but I was never taught about that kind of stuff. Of course, I'm learning about a little bit about it right now. Uh, but I do think that's something that we'll have to look at spaces. We'll have to really reevaluate. Are we getting to the mission uh, churches around the country that uh, we were talking about a little bit ago? Well, if you think about it, a lot of churches right now kind of have what I'm going to call uh, a clean slate in front of them. They've got a, uh, a canvas in front of them. They've been closed for a long time. Churches are just sort of now just opening. I think it's a great time to say, you know, the last thing we want to do is to go back to what wasn't working before the pandemic. So given the fact that people are still willing to give us an hour a week of their time and to come <coughs> to a worship service, what, is, what does that service look like? What's supposed to happen there? Uh, you know, I, I think you're exactly right. I think hockey, baseball, uh, football, it's going to have to figure out in the next year or two how do you get people back. Right now, they're pulling all the bells and whistles they can to, to make the at-home experience good. Well, if you make it so good that people don't want to get back, do you really even have a model for that? Do the players want to play without fans indefinitely? Uh, you know, I think online church communicates uh, content fine, mm -hmm. devoid of every single intangible. And a lot of what's great about church are the intangibles. There's no doubt. There's no doubt about it. Let's go to our next question here that churches need for a, to really evaluate for a post-COVID world. How do we disciple people who access us online? You know, it, online, it's not going away. We're not saying that should go away, uh, but there needs to be more of a balance of it. And we do have people uh, here at Christ Church that are, are accessing us from a far way away and feel like we are their church home. So what are your thoughts about discipling people online? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of turn this around, and I, I'm going to kind of interview you on this. I'm going to interview Mike Wooten. Mike. But uh, yeah. I think as we turn this around, one of the questions you've asked from the get-go is how do we turn essentially a fire hose into more of a warm stream? So how do we yeah. shift from yeah. inviting people to consume content yeah. to taking that next step to yeah. actually enter discipleship? So, Mike, what's your thinking? What are we doing here at Christchurch to kind of move people into yeah. that second well, step? You gave me the privilege of starting out 
you know, some of the stuff that got us going a couple of weeks ago. And I just started reading. Here's what I don't know. if new, I know new blogs have come out these last few years, but I can tell you when I first started diving into this, I had to go to secular sources in terms of creating an environment, working with the camera, and those type of things for what we were trying to do with Church Online. And this isn't stuff local churches have <laughs> no. traditionally done, unless you're no. just huge. And I think there's a little bit of, you know, what would you say? There's just a little bit, some of the church world didn't know what to do with it in general. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. is this okay? Because it's not how, how we normally would gather together. But, you know, I'll, I'll dive in and I like to do out-of-the-box out things. And, and this was something that was on my heart and you let me do it. But first of all, you have to really care about who's on the other end of that camera. That's right. Like, you have to care. Truly, truly. And then I think that becomes a guiding force. And for me, I'm going to what I had to do here is I had to say, what is ultimately the senior pastor's vision? How what is our DNA we already have in this church? What do we have available to us? And then what can I bring? And what I brought was, I think, care. Uh, for the people behind the scenes and talking to them on the camera in that way, engaging them in a way. And really, one of the uh, people who haven't doesn't get talked about much is my wife became on the keyboard, yes. the person who truly cares right. and, and building relationships with people. And so I, I think just the first thing uh, that people need to think through is that this has to be done with care. One of the most fascinating thing, Shane, you had me call a few places around the country when this started uh, back in 2017 or whenever it was. And you're like, hey, get some tips from them. Mm-hmm. There was a, and there was one place in particular that you said, hey, for kind of our tribe, if you will, they're doing the best. Uh, and uh, I said, okay. So I called the person. And it, was a, it was a young person in their 20s. And I got some tips. And then six weeks later, eight weeks later, we soared on Facebook yeah. Live. And in and, and our tribe, I don't know if anyone did it better than us. For I don't, I don't think they did because I was looking around. That person called us back and didn't realize it was me who called her eight weeks earlier. <laughs> she said, yeah, my, my senior pastor told uh, me to call. Yeah, you know, she knows Shane, and, and he wants uh, me to talk to you. And I said, we talked eight weeks ago. She's like, what? And she asked me, what are we doing wrong? Hmm. What are we doing wrong? And I said, well, uh, and for them, in their side of things, they weren't on the same page about it. And, she, and I, I went into this idea about caring, and uh, she's like, other people um, – that would be involved in this in terms of a production side, they don't care. That's right. And I, and I said, if you think, and I use this as a learning goal, if you're going to start this, you're going to have to think of a learning goal, not a performance goal, because no one's going to be ready to probably perform like that other than probably uh, just a few people. And so if you take it kind of as a learning goal, uh, you, you need to think that way too. So I would say having true care, thinking things through, preparing, and think of it as a learning goal uh, in terms of how you get ready for it. You know, one thing you said, and it really struck me, you said that person asked, what are we doing wrong? Well, these days, what you're doing wrong today might be what you were doing right yesterday. <laughs> things are just changing so quick, but some things don't change. And I think the thing that doesn't change, and it gets back to that first question that we discussed as well. What is your mission? Our mission is connect people to Christ. So the second piece is that person is accessing us online. So the question becomes not how many folks can access us online or how good a product can we put out online. Because at the end of the day, we're not creating a TV show. That's right. We're doing something different. We're trying to connect people to Jesus Christ. Whatever we have online, it's just a tool to do that. So how do we encourage, nurture that individual in the medium we're using to actually connect with Christ? And I think it begins with caring about that person and caring well beyond the fact that 
we've established what a click is and how we interpret that and how we interpret data and yeah. all that. I mean, if that's all a person is, right. is, is a number, you, you don't have yeah. much. That person is someone that needs care. That person is someone we're trying to connect with Jesus, right. not create a program and, for. And the idea for us is not that they would never, ever go to a church. We'd prefer them to be here with us on campus or at one of our campuses. If they're far away, we would love for them to find a local church. And that's a way we kind of direct energy, too, as well. When you have these mix of people, who's a nominal Christian, who's, a, who's someone who's just checking it out. You know, if someone kind of uh, wants to be more connected to us, we're going to spend more energy connecting because we only have so many people who can, who can really help. All right. Here, let's go to our next question uh, that churches need to ask to prepare for post-COVID. What is our business model? Don't you wish we had a lot of answers on this, Shane? What is our business model? What would you say to that? Well, I say this all the time. Churches don't have to make money, but you can't lose money indefinitely. We're not a business, but if you don't take care of business, you won't be in ministry very long. So you've got to have a sustainable model. And for me, I think on the other side of COVID, we're going to come up with a bit of a hybrid. And by that, I mean people who attend our church may increasingly access us online in addition to being here live. People tend to give when they're at church, and they tend not to give when they don't attend. So the question becomes, if we're online, and particularly for people who are going to access us exclusively online, whether they live here or somewhere else in the country or another country, what is the business model? For that, it costs money to produce that. How do we, on one hand, fund the ministry that we're doing? And on the other hand, how do we invite that person to take a step toward discipleship? Because we're trying to care about the individual and their relationship with Christ. And so for me, that model probably right now looks like reoccurring giving to encourage people to do reoccurring giving and churches to set up for that. Because if you're not set up for that, it's not going to happen. But reoccurring giving can help a church uh, survive the impact of an ice storm Sunday, a snow Sunday, that type of thing. But we've also found out that during a pandemic, and who knows when the next one's going to hit, Mike, we can be shut down indefinitely. Having a business model constructed to keep the church going because you can't just say, well, we're going to shut our church down and we're not going to spend one cent for five months and then we're just going to start up. Right. Everybody will be gone. All your staff will be gone. Yeah. Your, your, your building, you'd be shocked how much it will deteriorate in five months. Those things have to be kept up and cared for. So having a business model doesn't sound overly spiritual, yeah. but I'm going to say this. If you don't have one, you won't get to be spiritual. <laughs> that's exactly, that's part of it. You know, one of the, the basic things to think about is just the economic realities of the church's surroundings, I think, as well. I mean, if some of these towns, if you're, you know, pastoring or if you're in a church that uh, is a, a town that's been hit hard by COVID, right. you know, you can expect less giving to Absolutely. come in, too. So it's kind of uh, assessing all that. Again, getting the facts and, and asking those type of questions. I do find it interesting online because whereas I think most people, most pastors and most church leaders would say, you know, the type of giving you get will come from, you know, your area and, you know, what is kind of a, 
the possibilities of your demographics in your area. You know, online there is kind of an unlimited uh, possibility for people to be connected with Christ, grow in their in their discipleship, and uh, connect to a ministry financially as well. But Absolutely. you know, but you know, how much uh, will that happen, and how dependable is that? My goodness, with no, with the type of connection you get on online, I, I don't know. All right, let's go to our next question. What does future evangelism look like? So post-COVID, what will future evangelism look like? What do you think, Shane? I think we have to decide, okay, our message is non-negotiable. We believe here at Christ Church, we are what I would call orthodox Christians. We believe the things about Christ that Christians have believed for the last 2,000 years. Uh and so I, I like to say we're Orthodox, traditional Christians who, who have a Bible-based worldview, but we're not in a bad mood about it. So that's kind of our message. Biblical yeah. truth, Christian love. That is our message. Evangelism. How do you evangelize in a new world? In the old world, and we were really effective, Mike. I mean, we did great. Our strategy was real simple. Invite people to church. Once they get to church, we'll share Jesus with them. Some of them will get saved and become disciples, and then we'll send them out to invite more people to church. It worked really, really well. I think things are a little bit more complex now. I don't think our, our, our central identity is going to change at all, but I don't think that message is going to change. But I think the means by which we reach people and how we do that is going to be different on the other side. And my analogy, it's going to be like fishing a new lake. I don't think we're going to know exactly what's going to work and what's not yeah. going to work. We just have to try things, document things, and finding out what's not working might be as helpful as finding out what is. And I think in a culture that's a, uh, divided and a bit skeptical of each other, it's kind of hard. The old strategy is a little bit tougher, right? Because we're kind of everyone is questioning one another and what their intentions are. So inviting someone, and especially in a kind of post-Christian society, you know, you, why are you inviting me to church? I think there's just a little bit more resistance with that right now. I do think we're going to have to change. Uh, we're going to have to cross-train people in many different styles of evangelism, prop- propositional evangelism, relational evangelism. I think that's going to be very important. And then what what does it mean to be on social media? Who right. are us? Who are we as beings on social media? Because we don't have a theology framework behind no. that. Seminary, this happens so quick. We don't have generations of knowledge to pull from, and we don't have generations of church people who are like, okay, I know who I am online. And Shane, I don't know if you've experienced this or not, but you could uh, possibly preach a great message about being great online and then maybe see someone the next day who's not doing great online and you know they heard your message. And it's because I think there's just a disconnect because, again, everything has moved so fast. So we're going to have to train in a lot of ways. Yeah, and how do you do evangelism to a polarized society? I don't know. Unless you decide we're just going to be a church of all Democrats or we're just going to be a church of all Republicans or we're just going to be a church of all independents. I mean... People today view theology through a political lens. They view everything through a political lens. And in the past five years, I've just hit a culture that says, I can't possibly go to your church if I even suspect that you might vote differently than me. That is new. What what does that mean to evangelism and how we evangelize? 
I think those are questions yet to be explored. Yeah, and I just wonder if it's going to mean so much about our actions more than ever before than our words. I, I don't know. I'm just speculating. It's just kind of verbally processing right now. But, you know, what type of person is attractive to the faith? Uh, what type of uh, what type of evangelism strategy is attractive? I don't, I don't know, but it's something we got to start thinking about. There's no doubt about it. Well, one thing I, I've seen, and I, I just see pastors do this. Some pastors have just, I'm going to just use, they've capitulated to the divisiveness of the society. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'll read their Facebook posts, and they're just utterly partisan in their political view. And what they're basically saying is, uh, if you're not of my political persuasion— I don't think there's a chance in the world I'm going to be able to reach you anyway, so vote for my candidate. Right. And I, I, deep in my heart, Mike, I think yeah. the church has to be better than that. I mean, yeah. I, we got to be bigger than that. And yet, it's more difficult than it's ever been. In my mind, a church should be a place where people don't all have to think alike or be homogeneous right. in, in their thought processes or look alike or, or dress alike or whatever to be able to worship God together. Yeah. The community of the church should be powerful enough that it transcends those things that divide right. people. But I'm not seeing the church hot enough to to melt those barrier walls right now. I'm seeing politics really hot yeah. and church not very hot. And as a result, uh, what does it look like to be the church, to be in evangelism in a world yeah. that is so utterly politicized. And, and who knows, right, Shane? Because we are in an election year right now. Uh, COVID's around. Will things kind of even out here in 12 or 18 months? I, I don't know if they will or not, but we have to be prepared for, <laughs> for right. either one. Well, I think one of the mistakes we often make is, is we look at things, if we perceive them to be bad, and we say, well, they're just going to continue to get worse. But if you look at American society and history as a whole, things don't continue to get worse. They, they're cyclical. Mm-hmm. They'll move to a certain point, and then right about the point you think it's all going to go off the ledge, it starts moving back the other way. Right. And so I, I think to take things as they currently exist and, and to ride that to a logical extreme yeah. is to ignore a whole lot of history right. and the way particularly democracy works. And so I would just caution people to stay really focused on your message Mm. and experiment with your mediums. Love that. All right, next question. What will future staffing look like in the church? What will future staffing look like in the church? Uh, Shane, you've you've, grown a staff. You've been around doing this for a while. What do you think future staffing is going to look like in a post-COVID world? If the prognosticators are right and if there are fewer people going to be in church two years from now as there were two years ago, then I do think staffing is going to change. You're not going to need as many people on site. If more people are connecting online, the pressure to get better and better online is going to be immense. You know, you think about it. When everybody's just attending church, let's just say uh, a famous church. Let's say North Point, Andy Stanley. Yeah. So, you don't. if you're in Olney, Illinois... You don't have to be as good as North Point to be the most effective church in your county. You just got to be the best church in your county. But all of a sudden online, everybody is competing with North Point. Yeah. Every preacher is being compared to Andy Stanley because it's not 
that we're going and attending our church and our community with people we love. We are watching and consuming content, and it gets pretty apparent the difference between the content some places are able to offer and other places. So all of a sudden, you are competing with the very best in the country. And people may have thought your pastor was just a wonderful preacher until they heard so many other preachers. And all of a sudden, your pastor doesn't seem like the most wonderful preacher (laughs) at all. Or style of preaching, right? Maybe someone sees a preacher and they say, oh, actually, I like that style of preaching a little bit better. Because one of the (laughs) things we're finding is that people are accessing online church services, but increasingly they're not accessing their own. They're seeing other stuff. Well, this is going to put pressure on churches. So maybe church staffing in the future uh, has more film. Uh, A filmmaker, we hired a filmmaker here. It it ended up being one of our best hires. Sound, uh, how do we transmit that message? And if that is the case, I hate to say it, but you're going to have to have staff who are pretty good and pretty comfortable on film. That's very, very different and a different skill set. So I think the future is going to be both and. Live is always going to be the most important, but there is going to be an online component. If fewer people come back, I think we'll need different staff, and I think the staff we hire will be different as well. And I hate to say this, but I think the positions we hire, people are going to have to be more versatile. They're going to have to be more generalists in nature, and they're going to have to come across well on media. And depending on, you know, what type of resources the churches have, these hires who, for instance, they do a children's ministry, they may not only have to do uh, something on a Sunday in person, they need to be okay on the camera in terms of being videoed, and then they also need to be able to produce it and, you know, put edit it. You know, we may need people with yeah. those type of skills, and it's it's really it's. I really know people nice. on staff at churches right now, Mike, and they're just wondering if their positions are going to still be in effect. And, and what I tell a lot of them is possibly not. <laughs> you may not have a, a position in effect. So what I would do is I would I would widen your skill set. Yeah, I would learn how to. You know, you get a good iPhone 10, and somebody knows how to make videos. You can do some pretty good work. I would learn how to shoot stuff. I'd learn how to cut stuff. I'd learn how to edit stuff. I would pre- practice in front of a camera, yeah. which is something we've only seen senior pastors and worship leaders do in the past. But I think I would begin developing that both and skill set if I was a church staff person. And that leads us to our final question, Shane. It's really about the budget. You know, how, do, how does a church begin to even think about budgeting? post-COVID, what are your kind of, what's the forecast for the future? What are you thinking about that right now? Well, all the prognosticators have a negative forecast for the future. So let's throw all that out. Okay. Let's just throw it out. Let's begin somewhere else entirely. Let's begin with what kind of church do we want to be? Then let's begin with what will we offer and what is going to be our strength, what is going to be our unique identity And then let's fund the things that reflect our highest aspirations. And then I would say, don't just fund those things, but create some space to fund things that might work in the future. Create some funding space to try a few things. If you could try anything you wanted, what would it be? And if it's not too expensive, give it a shot. I think we've got to sustain but I also think there's got to be this piece where we're risking, where we're dreaming, where we're launching. 
and maybe what you do doesn't work. We just can't be risk adverse. And documenting what's not working is a helpful thing. So Mike, I think when it comes to budgeting, decide who you are, decide what God's called you to be, and stop funding things that aren't moving your church forward. If you've been doing spending your money the same way you've always spent it, funding things that you've not seen anybody come to Jesus, you've not seen anybody come into your church, you've not seen a single disciple made in 20 years, I would divert that funding to things that better align with your mission. You know, Shane, one of the things that came to mind when I was uh, getting us ready for this podcast today. Because well, Mike does get us ready, folks. I need to tell you, I write blogs, and then I just show up at the podcast, yeah. and it breaks. I go get a Diet Coke. Mike actually does all the heavy lifting on this. Well, it's based off your blog, so I don't know about that. No, I was really doing but, that to blame you, Mike. Anything oh, is <laughs> anything it's it. not going well. Yeah, I was just going to throw it yeah, your yeah, way I there. i give it back to you. Hey, uh, I was thinking, what about uh, maybe pastors and uh, church leaders at medium-sized churches? Uh, just g- trying to grab some wisdom for, from you. What about... You know, they don't feel like maybe all the leaders want to change or the congregation want to change or they're dragging their feet. Do you have any just tips on just where to start? Is it just bringing these questions to your leadership and just kind of maybe even going to the reality checks that we talked about the last episode to at least get people moving in a direction? Yeah, the seven questions that I developed uh, were were very specific questions that I, I encouraged pastors to sit down with their churches to sit down with their leadership, maybe have a leadership Saturday. Yeah. Anybody that cares, and just ask the questions. And and don't go in. I know as pastors, sometimes we'll already have the questions answered before we go in. <laughs> but I don't know anybody that thinks they're as smart as they did two years ago. <laughs> I don't I don't know anybody that thinks they're as smart as they were two years ago. Nobody has their head around this. Yeah. And so I think having the right questions right now is more important than thinking you have all the answers because whatever answers you think you have, there's a good chance they're wrong. But the questions aren't wrong. So I think a process for small church, medium church, and large church is really all the same right now. Ask good questions, get clarity on where you are, get vision for where you're going, and I think you have to move the church as a group. Is everybody in your church going to move the same direction? No. But you know what? Can the vast majority of your leadership team be in agreement? Absolutely. And a lot of pastoral ministry in the old model was basically the pastor is the chief prophet and visionary. He gets a vision from God and he tries to sell it to all the reluctant people. I don't think that's a sustainable model now. I don't think it's going to work with young people either. I think we have to invite our leadership into the process. And I think the best way to do that is beginning with just good questions to which we don't already have an answer. Well, we hope these questions have helped you begin to think about how you can operate in a post-COVID world. And we encourage you, like Shane said, to bring these to your leadership team. We think it's going to prepare you. We want to thank you so much for listening to Navigating Change with Shane and Mike. Be sure to click on the link to enter to win a free Navigating Change Mike uh, with Shane and Mike t-shirt. Also, if you have other Christian leaders you think this will be helpful for, please share it with them as well. Thank you for listening, and make sure that you keep the change.